Welcome to episode five of the Four Out One In podcast with your hosts George Hamilton the Third and Carlos Costas. How you doing, bro? I'm doing good. You know, uh, school is about to to wrap up. I know me and you both um, had finals or or have finals coming up, uh, like the end of the school year and everything. But I'm excited uh, to get into the summer and watch more 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 of the NBA action. How you been? Uh, good. Just finished my last finals Wednesday. For for what I've known, for what I know from checking all of my grades, I know I got three A's. So I'm just waiting on this last class to figure out if I got a 4.0 or a 3.75. So, hey, George is not only a basketball mind; he's an academic mind too. Don't yep. sleep on him. Yep. I mean, basketball, soccer, you know, academics, all of that. He can do it all. <laughs> Love it. All right, let's let's jump into the basketball talk right now. Um, there's a game going on right now. Uh, we're just gonna go through these series like we have been like the last episode, and we know a couple of series closed out. But again, let's start with the with the game that's happening right now, which is Sixers Raptors. Uh, currently going into the fourth quarter, um, they have a 25 point lead. Um, right now, or 20, excuse me, about a 20-point lead right now going into the fourth. So it looks like the Sixers might close the series uh, after this game, but uh, what did you see so far? Going back to our last episode, I said the Raptors would take game. I, they'd take at least a game at home. Philly would finish it in five. The Raptors actually took Game four and game five in Philly or game four in Toronto and game five in Philly, which was very surprising to me. And at least in game four, it was sort of the Raptors coming out and Pascal Siakam leading the charge, playing like an all NBA player. And then the supporting cast basically followed suit. They got good performances from Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi. Thaddeus Young pitched in, I think, like 10 plus points and so on and so forth. And the supporting cast just played well. And then in game five, I mean, Philly came out flat to the point where, I mean, they were booed by their fans after the after the first half. And Joel Embiid didn't play well. Uh, Maxi didn't have the games that he had, I think, in the first three, maybe four games. And then, I mean, Harden hasn't played up to the potential of what people expected from him in the first four, five games. So, I mean, uh, as you said, game six is happening right now on Thursday, April 28th. But this, as I said, as I was thinking, going back after game five, I was like, the Sixers could not let this series get to a game seven. They are, they were probably the favorites at home in a game seven, but just for the sake of morality and all of that, you could not let the headline say, oh, the Raptors come back down 3-0 to force a game seven. Because at that point, anything can happen, and they could have a game like they did in game five where they come out flat. And the Raptors had come out and just fire on all cylinders. So, I mean, Philly, they need to, I mean, it looks by the looks of it, I mean, with 12 minutes left and them up 20, unless the Raptors have a significant fourth quarter, uh, the Sixers will probably wrap this series up to face the Heat. And that's a matchup I want to see. 
But what are your thoughts on this series as well? I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right that the Sixers cannot afford uh, for the series to go to a game seven. I think uh, James Harden has a lot to prove. Um, just going off like the idea, like, is it worth it asking out from from the Nets um, and forcing a trade to, to Philly? Is it worth it for him to do that? I think Joel Embiid has a lot to prove too if this game goes to seven and if they if they lost um, just because he is an MVP candidate and there's a lot of questions on if he can be the one guy on a championship team. And I think Doc Rivers has a lot to prove too with all the talent uh, in the rosters he's had, hasn't really um, went on a run for being the caliber of coach that he's known to be. So I do think that they have a lot to, to, to lose if it goes to a game seven, but again, probably won't go to a game seven after this, unless Chris Boucher adds on to the 20 and 10, he has 23 points, 10 rebounds, 25 minutes, uh, no ducks. Uh, but you know, I don't think the stickers lose this one. I think Embiid is going to get the last laugh over Drake. Let's move over uh, to the one eight that ended, um, which is the Heat and the Hawks. Uh, what what did you think on that last game, Game Five? Game Five, uh, Oladipo. I mean, Jimmy Butler wasn't going to play, and oh, Jimmy Butler. I shouldn't say wasn't going to play, but he got ruled out. I think hours before game time, and I was expecting. Victor Oladipo to come into the starting lineup and step up, and he did. I can't remember how many points he put up, but uh, he played like a true sort of point guard. And obviously, you know what you're going to get from Bam Adebayo and, and Tyler Hero. But I mean, for him to come up in that big mo- in that big moment after all he's gone through, it was just a sight to see. And I mean, Miami or I should say Atlanta, they kind of kept it close. It was sort of Miami pulled away and then Atlanta would come back and then Miami would pull away and Atlanta would come back again. But I mean, the Miami Heat, they pulled it out because that's what Heat culture does with Eric Spolstra at the helm. And I mean, as for Atlanta, this series was over by like, I want to say game even even game three was even though Trey Young had the floater to win them the game he didn't even play well in that game and once they weren't going once he wasn't once he wasn't playing well it was one of those things where this series is basically over because if you don't get a get at least 30 and 10 from Trey Young on like good efficiency uh this team kind of has no chance to beat the heat and that's what we kind of saw in game four where Trey Young struggled and then the Heat basically dominated the second quarter on route to like beating them by 20 plus, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. We, we both had the Heat in six. And I think, I mean, the one game that the Hawks won were again off of buzzer readers. So in theory, Miami should have swept. Um, yeah, in that last game, Trey Young could not get a shot to fall. I think Miami's uh, switchability just in general, the entire series have uh, caused Trey Young a lot of problems, which is is expected um, from a good defensive team like they are. And again, Heat culture, they always look like um, they're down 3-1 in a series just off pure hustle, like eye tests from individual players, which is so crazy because Miami always finds guys. It's insane how they do that. Um, but I, I think 
uh, I, I guess a bright spot for the Hawks um, was DeAndre Hunter in that game, having 35 and 11. He looked like um, he looked good out, out there in a game that everyone else was struggling and they needed to, to get the ball in the basket. And, and DeAndre Hunter did that being a little more than a three and D guy that he's projected to be, but all things considered um, the Hawks in general, probably a disappointing season uh, to say the least in its entirety, going to the conference finals last year, uh, ending up in the play in and then almost getting swept by, by the one seed, but credit to Miami, the proving why they're a one seed and um I think they're they're going to be a scary team playing forward down the road. I think they're only going to play with more momentum than they already do, and they build off of very, build off of it very well. So excited for that! Before now, oh, before we move on, uh, brought up DeAndre Hunter and uh, that thirty five point game was really he was. I want to I don't want to say it, but the sole reason why they were kind of still in that game, to be honest, and with him, I I always knew he had the talent. I mean, it's just with him, it's his health and how healthy can he stay on the court because he always has like little nagging injuries that turn into like month long injuries. And for him, it's just staying on the court. I mean, we'll probably get into like off season talk and what teams should do in our opinions, like after the season is after the playoffs is over. But uh, in terms of Atlanta, they got a good one in DeAndre Hunter. It's just about him being healthy and being able to stay on the court. No, for sure. I think you're absolutely right. I think, I mean, now we're going to go down a rabbit hole about offseason moves and just moves in general, the Hawks. But just one thing to point point out is, um, you know that they made the decision uh, for for this DeAndre Hunter when choosing between Reddish our hunter when they made that trip for New York, this is the DeAndre Hunter that they were banking on um, getting down the road. So excited to see if that, if that pans out and everything. And, you know, I'm a Cam Reddish guy. So hopefully in New York, uh, he can turn his, his young career around and everything. But moving on, uh, sticking with the East though, the more exciting, I guess, series that everyone has been talking about. First off, we're talking about the Celtics and Nets. And first thing I want to say is, man, were we wrong? We both had the Nets in seven, which looking back at it, I mean, you can argue that it wasn't a crazy uh, prediction just because, I mean, why are you ever going to like bet against KD and Kyrie in the playoffs? Uh, but to, to our surprise and everyone's surprise, the Celtics swept in pretty, I want to say pretty dominant fashion, uh, that they that they won every game. So just as a series in general, um, what are your thoughts on it? This is crazy. I mean, if anyone had Celtics in four, you're 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 lying about that. Like, if you if you say Celtics in five, I'll give you that. If you have if if it wasn't six or seven, like oh, if it wasn't if you didn't have the Celtics or Nets in six or seven, then like. You, something's wrong with you because like this was supposed to be a good series this was deemed the i don't want to say the nba finals uh nba finals but this was sort of the nba finals of the east in terms of fourth round matchups because this was the one everyone wanted to see and i mean i there's nothing more to say kd struggled throughout the series except for the last game and then kyrie struggled throughout the series except for the first game uh 
the Celtics did a great job of limiting KD and Kyrie. Their game plan was simple. We're not going to let KD and Kyrie beat us. They can, they can score all the points they want, but as long as we keep the supporting cast to a minimum in terms of points and, and letting them beat us, we'll be fine. And there were a few points that are a few things I noticed in, I think, game three and game four. Uh, one has to do with the Nets. And there were a few plays where they got KD, I think, in like the, the mid post or the low post. And he ended up and it ended up being two buckets out of those plays. I can't remember exactly what happened off the top of my head, but the next play after those two plays were ran, they went back to giving him the ball in like the high post. And they basically and when that happened, the help defender, either either it was Brown or it was either Brown or Smart, depending on if Tatum or Grant Williams was guarding KD, they would come over and help and KD would turn the ball over. And basically going uh, pivoting to Boston, their game plan was simple. They'll leave every they'll leave Bruce Brown open because yes, he's a 40 percent three oh my God, 40 percent three point shooter, quote unquote. But as most people said in last year's series between the Hawks and the Hawks and Atlanta, the Knicks are not Hawks and Atlanta Hawks and the Knicks, uh, the Knicks had several 40 point three point percent shooters. But I mean, in the playoffs, it's a whole different ball game. And so the Celtics basically said, we'll leave Bruce Brown open and see if he and live with the three point shots he takes. And if he makes them, we'll live with it. And that's literally what that series was. I mean, Curry had a few games where he played well. Uh, Drummond had a few games where he kind of was okay. But for the net for the Celtics, the game plan was just not let Katie and Kyrie beat us. And for the Celtics, in terms of what they did well, they you knew what you were going to get from JT and, and JB simple as that it was just it just came down to the supporting cast Marcus Smart being the catalyst for offense and defense sort well offense sort of but defense primarily uh played well on both ends of the ball Al Horford and Grant Williams shot 50 plus percent from three-point range and literally if you do if those two are doing are shooting 50 point or 50 percent from the three in four series like I don't know how you beat Boston in, in that sense, especially if you're getting production from both of them. You're getting production from Peyton Pritchard off the bench, which was very surprising uh, to see him get playoff minutes like he did in game two and I think game three. And just all in all, a complete all-around effort. Props to Ime Adoka for putting up a solid game plan against the Nets and KD and Kyrie. And that's all I pretty much have to say for that series. What's your thoughts on it? I mean, I think in general, I think the, uh, I get, yeah, like you said, credit to um, Ime Udoka, amazing, amazing game plan. And to the Celtics, like you said, Marcus Smart was definitely a catalyst for that team. I think the, the biggest thing um, that I enjoyed watching uh, in this entire series was the Celtics defense. Um, it's, they have, I think they just have a bunch of smart defenders and they all bought into the game plan and bought in knew their roles. I think their help rotation is like insane that 
every shot that the that the Nets had, like they didn't make it easy for them the entire series, and they kept it on for four straight games, um, which is a big reason why they swept and everything. Uh, but yeah, on the defensive side, Jason Tatum, oh my God, he he sometimes he looked he looked uh, like a defensive player of the year candidate guarding Katie on an island. Um, so yeah, I think the Celtics just showed why they were number one and that like their kind of hot, hot streak towards the end of the season wasn't, wasn't nothing. They, they can, they're definitely a contender um, in the East uh, coming out and um, kind of pivoting uh, to their, their next round matchup um, is the Bucks who, who beat the Bulls in five. Uh, I predicted the Bucks would sweep. I think the one win was, the one win if it's a 4-1 series george had bucks in six um but what do you think on on the five game series uh five game series Woo. that i expected the bulls to play way better at home i'm not even gonna lie i mean i said they'd take at least both games at home or at least yeah i did say they'd take both games at home and then Milwaukee would basically win game five and game six. And boy, was I wrong. The Bucks came out in game three and game four and just wiped them off the court. It was pretty bad. I mean, I stopped watching. I think both. No, I didn't catch game four because I was out playing soccer, but I caught game three and game three. I stopped watching, I think, after either the second quarter or like three or four minutes into the third quarter because it wasn't even close. Milwaukee literally showed their dominance. I mean, Zach Levine going for uh, to pivot for the Bulls. Zach Levine was playing on a knee injury, so we didn't get to see him at full 100%. And DeMar DeRozan tried to do everything he could, but this – this Bucks team, they showed why they're de- why they are the defending champions without Chris Middleton. Uh, they got Grayson Allen and Bobby Portis to step up and be really huge off the bench. Uh, you knew what you were gonna get from Giannis. I mean, Giannis had I think like either twenty. No, he might have had thirty in Game Four, and I think he only scored like eighteen in Game Three. But Game Three. They got production from literally everyone. Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis, Grayson Allen. Uh, I want to say Brooke Lopez and some other some of the other pieces on their team. And then game four, they got Grayson Allen to score 27 points on six threes made. And when and if that is happening, I mean the Bucks, along with Giannis and Drew Holiday, if you're getting 25 plus point performances from them too. And Grayson Allen is adding 25 off the bench. I mean, it's going to be hard to beat them, even without Middleton. And as for the Bulls, uh, this is this is. I'm not surprised that they were a first round out. I mean, they dealt with a lot of thing, a lot of situations over the course of this season. COVID being one of them, injuries being another, uh, another. And I mean, for them to go out in the first round, I mean, it's not surprising, but. This was a big stepping point, stepping stone point for them going from out of the playoffs last year to being in the playoffs this year and not having to be in the play in. Uh, it's just something they can build on. I expect Zach Levine to be back full 100% next season. Damar, you know, is there for like two more years. Uh, I need to see Vooch be improve 
three-point shooting-wise and defense-wise. But, I mean, there's really – we'll get into the offseason talk late after the season, as I said. But uh, in terms of the Bucs, uh, this matchup against the Celtics is going to be really interesting. Uh, what's your thoughts on it, too? Uh, absolutely. But just just going back to it, um, you, you, you made a good point that, that the Bulls um, – this is a, a great defining point uh, in their franchise's kind of direction um, from being a lottery team to being um, a top six seed, avoiding the plane and event losing to the defending champs and playing the defending champs is never, um, never easy. Uh, and to the Bucks again, like they are the defending champs. They know what it takes to win a championship, having uh, needing guys to step up in the absence of a Chris Middleton, um, having them step up, which was which was big, like you said, and then uh, to to your point of uh, the Bulls not playing very well at home, I know Chicago and Milwaukee are not very far from each other, and no disrespect to Bulls fans or anyone in the United Center, but I'm sure the defending champs, like the Bucks fans, I'm sure they traveled all of them to Chicago for for this. Um, you know, your team will just cut off of the championship and continuing um, a long playoff run. I think they're, they, the Bulls are not going to have any easy games, whether in Milwaukee or Chicago. Um, that's why I had them, had them sweeping. But yeah, to, to the next series against the Celtics, I think this is going to be um, another great series. Uh, I might ask you for, for a prediction right now, but I'll let you think about it while I make these, these couple points. I think Chris Middleton um, being out is going to be huge for them because you're not going to get uh, like 20 points from from Grayson Allen or Bobby Portis every game with the defenders uh, that that the Celtics have. I think, I mean, they showed that they they shut down pretty much the entire Nets roster um, on the defensive side and and talent wise. I think you would say uh, that Katie and Kyrie. Um, obviously are more talented on the offensive end than probably the entire Bucks roster. Uh, so, and the Celtics playing as good of the defense and momentum, just sweeping a team that everyone thought was going to be like, a, that everyone thought uh, was a title contender is, is going to be crazy. And, and them playing Giannis, I think Giannis is going to have uh, a lot of offensive, like a big offensive load um, to carry for his team. And, I'm very much excited to see how how the Celtics and Ime Udoka, uh, how they plan to, to match up with Giannis and um, just the defensive scheme, just adding on to the first round. I think that's what I'm excited to watch the most. Um, but George, prediction in the second round, Celtics-Bucks. Um, give me... I got the Celtics in six. I'm with that. I was thinking the same thing. I think the Celtics in six. It's kind of hard to to see the Celtics losing a series after being that dominant in the first round. Um, and not to say that, well, what I was thinking was like the Bucks kind of had a cakewalk compared to the Celtics first round. But I'm not going to disrespect the Bulls like that. I think they they could have put a good series up against anyone. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. Do you think 
uh, the Celtics might have a little bit of a burnout, even though they did sweep, but the, it was a hard fought four games. I'll tell you that um, compared to the Bucks, who I guess you can kind of say were, were cruising. I mean, they won um, games by big margins. So, uh, I mean, what do you think? Is it going to be like a, I don't think Milwaukee loses at home. That are, that's my prediction. I I don't think if they're playing in Milwaukee, I don't see them losing. Uh, I think the Celtics can take if we're if we said if we both said six, uh, the Celtics split. The Celtics split both games. They split game one and game two. Then Milwaukee will split game three and game four, and then I got the Celtics winning at home. And it, Celtics winning at home in game – they were the second seed, right? Yeah, second seed. Uh, game six and game five. So I should say Celtics win game one. Milwaukee wins game two. Celtics win game three. Milwaukee wins game four. And then the Celtics take game five and game six. Yeah, now as you said, I can see that happening too. I do – I don't know if we're going to do like game by game predictions, but I can see uh, the Celtics losing one at home. Just, uh, I don't know. It just feels like the type of series that they'll probably drop a game, like game one or game two, whichever one, then they'll pick it back up um, and bring home, bring home the series uh, in like a game five when they're back in Boston or something. But yeah, excited to see that one. Now, are we transitioning to the other side of the country for this? Uh, yeah, before we move on, I do think going back to the Celtics Bucks prediction, uh, I mean, if the Celtics guarded KD and Kyrie the way they did, they should have no problem stopping stopping Giannis. Giannis, yes, he does have a bag, but let's be honest, it's not as deep as KD's. Like, it, he doesn't have the handle and the pull up like KD does. But I mean, they, who knows, the Celtics might go back to what 20 was that 2018 2019 and pull up and put up the wall and say we're gonna we're gonna make drew holiday grayson allen bobby portis beat us there yeah they had the one game or they had the two games games versus the bulls but can they do this for an entire series hey Giannis's bag Giannis got the same bag as derrick henry just put your head down and run straight Getting into that football bag, I see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's move to the West Coast for this one. Um, All right, S- Steph Curry, or should I say Jordan Poole, and the Warriors uh, take the Nuggets out in five. What do you think about that? You could have said Steph Curry. I mean, the man showed out yesterday. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I just <laughs> I just wanted the headline. Uh, game three for the Warriors. Uh, they got the production from Steph Clay and and they got the production from Steph Clay and Jordan Poole. So that wasn't surprising. They ended up, yeah, they did end up winning that game pretty much because defense played the defense was the factor in the last three minutes of game three. They shut down the Nuggets. I don't even think they scored in those last three minutes. And uh Curry and Poole took over. And then game four was basically the same thing. Except the Nuggets, the Jokic's supporting cast basically came out 
And uh, they played well. Gordon had, I think, like 20, 21 or something like that. And Monte Morris had like 26. And then Will Barton hit, while he only hit had two made shots, he hit the biggest shot to basically give the Nuggets the win in that game as Draymond fouled out, which ended up being huge late in that fourth quarter. And then game five, game five, the Nuggets pretty much, it was back, I, wouldn't, I shouldn't say back and forth. The Nuggets had a lead. And then the Warriors would kind of storm their way back into it. And then the Nuggets would pull away and the Nug- and the Warriors would storm back. And then late in that fourth quarter, uh, it was the Curry show. Curry took over, hit, I think, like, I want to say three. I want to say at least three, three threes back to back to back. And then I think someone else scored and then he hit another three. So uh, Curry, he took over last night. Jordan Poole had a struggle. Jordan Poole struggled last night. Same with Clay. Clay, I mean, he was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say on and off, but he wasn't like himself in game three and game four. But they got very good production from Gary Payton the second off the bench. I think he had like 15 points, hit, I think, two clutch threes late in that fourth quarter, and uh basically delivered the win for the Warriors to basically give them the series in five. Uh, do you want me to speak on the Nuggets as well? Yeah, go for it. All right. So, I mean, Jokic, Jokic had what, like 28, 19 and eight. <laughs> so, I mean, he did his thing for the for the series. It was as we, as we said in the previous episodes, it was going to come down to can the supporting cast step up. And I mean, Gordon played well last night. He came out of the gate scoring i think he had 11 of denver's first 19 points can't remember what he finished with but uh i don't know if will barton played pretty particularly well but uh they got pretty good production from bones highland and demarcus cousins off the bench i think demarcus cousins put up like i want to say 19 or close to 21 which surprisingly i didn't know that was his career high i honestly thought it was more but it's kind of not surprising considering i think he had only been in the playoffs twice obviously once with the pelicans and then once with the warriors um but i'm just curious to see how this team is going to be next year they're going to get a healthy jamal murray back uh hopefully michael porter jr doesn't have any more back issues to where he can be can play at a hundred percent. And I just want to see this Nuggets team at full strength because let's be honest, they played they played well the last three games of this series. You can make the argument they could be the series could have been tied two two if not for gate the game three laps where they couldn't score in the last three to four minutes of that game. But uh this team is going to be a force to be reckoned with next season along with our team, the Clippers. And so I'm just curious to see what this team will bring next season. They got for for a rookie like Bones Highland to get get to give production at like he did in this series. Uh he's only gonna get better from from of during the offseason. So and then, I mean, hopefully they keep guys like Boogie and Uncle Jeff on the roster to give them some veteran leadership. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with this team next year. Hey, shout out to DeMarcus Cousins. If any of you guys know me, you know that Boogie is probably top five favorite players of all time, in my opinion. At his peak, he is a top five center. 
I, I don't know if I can go that far, but shout out to shout out to Demarcus Cousins. I think uh for the off season for the Nuggets definitely get everyone back healthy because I would love to see that team. I'm not even sure if we saw we didn't really really see a lot of the team at full strength. Like the last time MPJ and Jamal and everyone played healthy it was probably what like the bubble, but even then injuries still still held, held, held them back. That's that's when Jamal Murray got injured. So I mean, oh well I mean you could say last year uh because it was like two weeks ago to the this two weeks ago last year Jamal got injured in the Chase Center and uh that was his ACL tear. And then I mean MPJ only played like nine games this season, but you can continue. Did he not get hurt in the bubble? I'm just imagining it. Yeah, no, he didn't get hurt in the bubble. Oh man, I must have been in the bubble with them. I don't remember that time at all. <laughs> but <laughs> but but shout out to the Warriors uh for winning this. Hopefully in the next round they can whoever they match up against. First of all, who do you want to see before we even get into this? Who, who do you want to see the Warriors play? We're moving on to the next series here, but who do you want to see the Warriors play? That's uh, who Memphis or the Minnesota. Wolves? Yeah. Oh. Personally, I need to see a re rerun of Memphis and Golden State just because, I mean, Memphis, Golden State last year in the play, and that was a – that could have been a seven game series in itself. So to see everyone fully, to see both teams at full strength for a seven game series, that would be fun, but I wouldn't be opposed to cat Anthony Edwards and the wolves running it with uh, Stephen Curry and the warriors. Oh my but, God. Dude. The, 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 I remember there's like a video clip after that game with like Steph Curry with the towel over his head just like kind of blank staring into the, into the, like the game when it was finishing, man, you, you know, if they match up, Curry's going to want it. Like he's, he's going to come out hungry. Not that he came out flat or anything at all, but yeah, going, going to the Grizzlies Timberwolves series. Uh, yeah. Let's start, let's start there talking about um, the Grizzlies winning game five. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Uh so we start game five and basically work our way to game three or start game three and work yeah, our way let's, to game five? Let's start more recently, work our work our way back. Let's backtrack it this time. Okay. Um, game five, back and forth, game of was it a game of runs? Maybe, maybe no, that was game four. Uh game five, I think Minnesota was up by 13 late in the third. And then I mean basically jaw had the poster on Malik Beasley which basically put the crowd on basically lifted the crowd on it to its feet and the what is it called FedEx forum I think FedEx forum was on on its feet for the rest of that game including the fourth quarter as John Moran and Desmond Bain basically willed the Grizzlies back into that game, along with guys like Brandon Clark and, and Tyus Jones. And that game, that game pretty much had everything you were looking for. If in a basket in like late in the fourth, I mean, I don't know if you caught that play, the, the wolves ran for I think it was, I'm, I'm assuming it was for Anthony Edwards, but that play after the timeout was, chef's kiss beautiful 
Uh, I can't remember who set the, the back screen for for Anthony Edwards to get to the corner three that passed by. I think it was was it D'Lo? Might have been D'Lo or Patrick D'Lo, Beverly. One of the two, but I know McDaniel set that screen. Yeah, uh, D'Lo or Patrick Beverly that bounce pass perfectly to Ant so he could catch it and just rise in the corner. And as soon as he shot it, I was watching with my roommates. And as soon as he shot it, I was like, this is going. And I called the play, too, like before it happened. I was like, Anthony Edwards is probably going to get a down screen for for Cat from Cat or whoever the power forward was on the court. And he was just going to be it was going to be his shot, which was basically his moment. And then he kind of made the rookie mistake of gambling on the on obviously the next play. He gambled to try to get the steal on Ja Morant's inbound pass. And Ja basically had a free lane to the hoop because I think Cat was out of the paint and I think he was out of the play. So, uh, so I mean, it was unfortunate that it happened like that. I know Anthony Edwards got, he got picked on a screen, but he didn't really need to reach in that situation because you know Ja was going to try and get to the basket which he did. And I mean, that was basically the game. And I mean, if we continue on the game four, game four was literally a game of runs. I mean, I don't know if you saw it, but the animal protest had me dying. (laughs) The animal protest had me dying, especially because when the security guard, I honestly thought the security guard was, was a coach for a second. And then I looked on the, I looked up the videos on Twitter and she was waiting for that moment (laughs) and just to just to bypass that because we don't need to give that person any that we give the security guard praise for doing their job but we don't need to give the person that was protesting uh their their just due because that's not what you do on it at an nba court or at not even an nba arena just anywhere period you just run out and do something like that and but bypassing that that the second half was a game of runs. It was Memphis go on a run, Minnesota go on a run, Memphis go on a run. I think it was like, I think it was like 12 0 Memphis. Then it was like a 10 0 Minnesota run. Then it was like an 8 0 Memphis run. So, like, that game was a game of runs. And then Minnesota pulled away late. Cat, I think, got like 33 and he had like 12, I think, something like that. And then uh, Anthony Edwards poured in his 21 and Patrick Beverly had his 17 points. Uh, the funniest moment of that game was uh, Kat's interview where he deepened his voice out of nowhere. <laughs> and that was that had the, the timeline going that had the timeline laughing its butt off on Twitter. And I mean, the Grizzlies, they played a great they played a great game in in game four it was just cat was a better decision maker than he had been and he was making quick decisions on the fly whether it was finding his teammates or attacking the rim on smaller defenders and going to game three uh just getting back to game or going to game three uh as we know when we did episode four that game was the group Wolves were up by 20 multiple times 
And I don't know what happened, but after we finished that recording of the episode, I literally checked my phone and the Grizzlies had went on the 21-0 run. And Chris Finch didn't call a timeout, which was very surprising. And I was shocked that I caught the fourth quarter after we finished recording. And that quarter was, I think, a Desmond Bain, like three-point shooting performance. Uh, They also got key production from Brandon Clark and Tyus Jones off the bench. And even though Jaw has struggled in the series, particularly game three and game four, he was able to play, make and find open, find, get easier shots for his teammates, which is, I mean, what a point guard does, especially if they're struggling. And I mean, just the series as a whole, I mean, I think game six is tomorrow, uh as the grizzlies are up three to two i i want to see a game seven because that's what i think i said so i'm hoping minnesota wins so that we could get the illustrious game seven in memphis but uh i wouldn't be shocked if memphis closes out tonight or tomorrow uh what's your thoughts on this series First off, I would say apologies if you can hear the train uh, in the background. If, if you know, for anyone listening, you know the, uh, the movie Polar Express, um, where, the, where the kid wakes up like at night because everything is shaking. That's like where I live. Like in, that's how close the train is. It's like the same thing. So I'm sorry if you can hear that. But um, <laughs> to, to game five, to game five, game five was, was so fun to watch. Um, for from like a fan fan perspective and I called it two I mean George we're not watching the game together but I did call it two I've been seeing uh, a lot of TikToks on like a hammer screenplay that the NBA likes to run um, but a lot of the times or a lot of the clips I've seen uh, they kind of run that hammer screen um, on the weak side off of off a of baseline drive in addition to that corner and that that corner is always open but I knew I was like called a timeout coming out of it I know it's going to be some type of hammer screen it's going to an open look is going to show up someone is going to be wide open off a pass catch and shoot knocking down it's exactly what happened and um honestly late in that game that like that's like the only play that they were running like on both on both for both teams like they were just playing like almost like a hero ball like give John a ball and go like try to try to get the ball at least a deal was like try to get the ball to whoever and then late in the clock they'll just kind of go one-on-one uh for a shot but i don't know man it the more i watch jaw the more like sometimes i don't think he has a bag but it's also like maybe i'm just a casual and he's doing the smart thing trying to draw a foul um you know, his little hang time plays, like put your head down, try to poster someone uh, real quick. Sometimes I'm like, what, why? Or I think he, he, he took a transition three uh, late, late in the fourth or like midway through the fourth, maybe like eight, eight minutes, five minutes, somewhere around there. Um, took like a, a transition three. It wasn't like a heat check three or anything. That's why I was like, what, why would you shoot that? Like, not that you had numbers, but there was the defense was not set at all. You had a couple guys running the lanes. Why are you just pulling up for three like that? But um, it could be John Morant's uh, just the style of play, um, like late in the game. Because I, I that I don't want to say I don't like, but maybe just I'm not accustomed to seeing. 
because uh, we haven't really seen a player like John Morant like that in a while. And I saw this clip on JJ Redick or from JJ Redick, and I, I think it's JJ Redick. And I want you your opinion on it, saying that, um, like talking about like basketball geniuses who JJ thought were basketball geniuses. Um, he mentioned Rajon Rondo, mentioned Chris Paul, and then another guy he mentioned was Ja. Um, talking about how he sees the game and how he plays the game, reads situations, offenses, defensive, defenses, um, and saying that Jaw this early in his career, what is this, year three for Jaw? Three. Three. Year three for him, that he's already um, a basketball genius. Um, we're, we're no NBA player. We're no don't know anything near the amount that J.J. Redick knows on the game of basketball and anything, but just thoughts on, on that statement. Uh, I'm honestly, I'm not shocked by it just because, I mean, as I said, jaw in this series, yes, he's kind of struggled to, to score at times, especially game three and game four. But as I said, he's made plays for his teammates. He's gotten easier and better looks for his teammates, which is what a point guard should do. I mean, he mentioned him in the same breath as Rondo and, and CP3, who are two of our, well, two of the player point guards from our generation who were great, who were traditionally for past first point guards, setting their team uh, teammates up first. And so in year three, I mean, I'm not shocked to, to hear J.J. Redick put him in the same breath as those two. I mean, JJ Redick probably is one of my favorite analysts on ESPN since he's gotten, since he's become part of the media. And so I'm not going to like doubt his opinion. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say he's in that tier, but he's, he's pretty close. Yeah. Uh, agreed. I think by the end of his career, uh, I mean, I guess it, it depends on how you define a basketball um, genius, but I think John Moran is going to finish somewhere near there by the end of his career. Um, definitely in that conversation. Uh, shout out to JJ. Love that guy. My favorite clip of JJ is when he tears up. I, I forget who he was like going back and forth with talking about like Chris Paul. I think it was Chris Paul or oh, like, uh, Chris Russo. Um, he's a, yeah. he's a baseball analyst. But yeah, <laughs> how are you arguing with an NBA player about basketball? But whatever, that's one of my favorite clips watching. But hold on, pause, live update. The Sixers just closed the series, beat the Raptors. Uh, Sixers won 132 to 97. Um, you have anything to say about that? Uh, not surprised. They needed to close this out. Maybe they needed to close out in, and I'm going to say dominant fashion. They didn't need just a regular win. From what I'm looking at in the stats, it looked like Harden, Maxi had 25 and 8. Harden had 22 and 15 on good efficiency for both. They both shot 50 plus percent from the field. Uh, Joel had 33 and 10 in rebounds. And so, I mean, they they needed this in dominant fashion. Uh, I mean, just looking at the stats, the, the starters look like they scored 25, 22. That's 47, uh, 66, 99, 111. Yeah, so they scored 111. They scored, The starters scored 111 points out of the 132. So, I mean, 
in terms of the Sixers facing the Heat, I don't think they're going to get a perform. They're going to get performances like that where the starters are going to score the bulk of the points just because the Heat plays great defense. So, and I said this going when they made the Harden trade, the, the bench was going to need to step up. I mean, the good thing for the Sixers is that they're going to have Matisse Thibault for the for all of the next round instead of him only playing, what, three games? But he's going to be pretty much the X factor in this next series versus the Heat because the Heat are going to leave him open and say, you're going to have to make your threes. Uh, but in terms of the Sixers closing out tonight, uh, I'm not surprised they needed to do it just for the sake of their fan base and the the media creating narratives of of choking a three one a three o lead for the first time possibly, but uh, the Sixers they needed it. No, no, for sure, and I think they're going to be uh, tested by by Miami in this next round. Um, let, let's move on to back to the West. Um, Another live update, three minutes left. Suns, Pelicans, Suns up one. Um, let, let, let's talk about what, what we've seen um, in this series thus far. Then maybe by the end of this, this episode, we might give you a live reaction um, on if Phoenix can close the series or not. All right. Uh, by the way, sorry if I'm looking at my phone a lot. I mean, we have both these games on right now, and obviously the NFL draft is today. And uh, so I'm looking at the draft picks so far, and one, two of them are honestly surprising. But we'll, I don't, we, you'll hear about football stuff on. You'll see my football stuff on Twitter. Um, we're going back to basketball and the playoffs right now. Chris Paul is. 20 has 29 and six and he's made every single shot he's taken 13 of 13 so you're getting the chris paul masterclass in terms of the points scored uh deandre ayton has 20 and seven on 81 percent shooting uh one thing i'm surprised uh, obviously macau bridges 16 points and he's played 41 minutes so the iron man of the phoenix suns doing what he needs to do to, to wrap up this series. Uh, one thing I am pretty shocked about is Devin Booker. Uh, it looks like he is on a minutes restriction as he came back tonight, but I don't know if he, if he came back tonight because he's fine or if he came back tonight because he wants to close out this series because they originally listed him as out for to what, two to three weeks. And for him to come back in what a week, maybe six days uh it kind of gives me the sense that he rushed himself to get back and uh, as we all know sometimes rushing yourself to get back can create an aggravation in the, the injury that you previously had but uh i mean right now phoenix is looking good as for the pelicans be brandon ingram has 17 5 and 11 in 41 minutes played and he's shooting 46% from the field. Uh, Herb Jones has 16 points on 55% shooting. He also has – oh, I don't think I can see steals. Oh, no, I can. He has four steals, so he's locking up on the defensive end. 
Uh, CJ McCollum has 16 points, but he's shot for he's shooting 43%. So kind of a low efficiency type of game for him. And I mean, just from what I've seen on my phone, from the notifications I've seen on Twitter, Jose Alvarado is being a pest once again, like always, the, uh, as <laughs> as I as I call him the the Puerto Rican Patrick Beverly, because he is literally Patrick Beverly just without the the whole antics. Um, but this game is one hundred and one to one oh one hundred. Phoenix is leading by one with two thirty five left. I mean. We'll, we'll probably see the rest of it after this after we finish recording but so far i mean phoenix in game five they showed why they were the best team in the league came out in the first quarter first half i should say and dominated uh, i think chris paul had like 22 and 11 and Macau bridges finished with like 31 to lead the way and then game four was basically the opposite of game was basically the opposite in terms of the Pelicans kind of dominating the second half. And that was honestly in all my years of watching basketball, which going on what 16, I mean, 16 of watching basketball, but like probably at least nine in terms of watching it like profoundly uh, just in case, just in terms of like trying to make a career out of it. That was one of the first times, if maybe even the first time, I've seen Chris Paul flustered. He could have gotten ejected even though, excuse me, even though I believe that that wasn't a foul, uh, not a foul, a flagrant two foul, as many people said. I mean, obviously, Chris Paul kind of has a history of dirty plays and stuff like that. I'm not going to be on my bias, bias BS to say that that was in a flagrant two. But uh, but that was one of the very few times I've seen him flustered. The the when I I knew he was flustered when Jose Alvarado got the eight second violation on him, and he had that deer in the headlights look, and that's when I knew that like Chris Paul was like mentally not mentally well you could say mentally mentally <clears throat> sheesh <clears throat> uh mentally he was like psyched by Herb Jones and 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 Jose Alvarado and the one thing I saw from that game was when after Chris Paul come oh my gosh after Chris Paul committed the foul on Herb Jones I think it was like three plays later I forget what happened but Herb Jones I don't know if he got fouled or what actually happened but he was on the ground and Chris Paul walked over to help him up and Herb Jones literally looked looked he literally sat there as if like Chris Paul wasn't even like there with his hand out. It was just like the ultimate gainsmanship was being played at that point. Like, yeah, you're a veteran. Yeah. You're the point God. You're probably going the first, you're probably going down as a first ballot hall of famer. But at this moment, like we're, we're enemies. Like your, your resume doesn't speak to what we're trying to accomplish as a team. And that's when I knew like the Pelicans were for real. And as for game three, I mean, it was just a Chris Paul masterclass. Uh, you had, I think, like 28 and 10 along to go. And DeAndre Ayton poured in like 28 when he came out firing on all cylinders. I think he had like 13 points in the first quarter. And uh, that's what you needed when without Devin Booker being there. 
And as for the Pelicans, I mean, this team runs on Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum, and you can add Jonas Valanciunas playing well. When those three play well, they're kind of hard to beat, as you saw, as we see tonight and in game four. Uh, And then, I mean, the supporting pieces off the bench, Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones, you have Trey Murphy, Najee Marshall. You also have, did I say Larry Nance Jr.? Okay, yeah, Larry Nance Jr., once those guys start pitching in off the bench, like, they're a tough team to beat, as we've seen throughout this series. But uh, what's your takes on this series? Um, yeah, just, uh, like, back to what you said about Chris Paul being flustered. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Jose Alvarado is in his head uh, right now. But, yeah, when you said that, I kind of thought, I was like, damn, have I really – like when was the last time I seen Chris Paul kind of losing his handle or not even losing his handle, just like kind of throwing off his game. And the last time I could think of was in last year's run um, when he hurt his hand and he came back and he like could not dribble. Like he could not get the ball up, up the floor. Um, and I know he, he talked about it too, like on, on JJ Reddick's podcast, uh, I think after after the season, talking about like how he he really could not dribble, he couldn't even shoot a basketball. But he told Monty Williams like I'm playing. Um, but yeah, Jose Alvarado is doing a great job for for him being a rookie and guarding a top five point guard ever uh, in the playoffs. What happened? Oh, sorry. Football news. Well, two things. Two things. In terms of basketball, as we're speaking of Chris Paul, I just seen a tweet from Brian Windhorst saying Chris Paul is having the best like shooting game in playoff history. No one has ever shot 13 of 13. I mean, maybe there's been 100%, but no one has shot 13 of 13 from the field. So that's one. And then two, just in terms of football, uh, Debo, or not Debo Samuel, because that's my team. Uh, Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown just got traded from the Ravens to the Cardinals. I so, thought you were about to say Debo just got traded. I was gonna say, I, if for George, this news, we would have to stop the podcast if that happened. Yeah, probably would. You probably Debo would Samuel got you, traded. You would have heard me crying. <laughs> <laughs> But you can no, keep I going. Space. I was like, hold on, George, what happened? Yeah, you uh, keep going. Uh, where were we? But yeah, Chris Paul, um, I mean, shoot, turn it around. Maybe Jose Alvarado isn't all that if this man is 13 for 13, almost a 30-point double-double 10 assist. Um, so, so we'll see uh, what Chris Paul does. But um, I think the Pelicans, I think just in, in general – uh, whether they win the series or not, I think this this is a bright spot in the Pelicans like franchise. Um, just with everything with Zion, uh, him like, you know, who knows if he actually is injured or anything uh, at this point. And but um, having to to play in the plane, making it out, and pushing the the best team in basketball um, to a tough to a tough series is. Um, is, is great for them, great for an organization. You have, like, your rookies are showing out, like Herb Jones um, showing out right now, Jose Alvarado undrafted showing out right now. Um, even Trey Murphy, who's 
um, been one of the quiet, like of the rookies of the Pelicans, he's probably the quietest one, but I, I don't think he's had a terrible season either. Like those are three bright spots for you. And um, yes, I, me and George, a bit of homers uh, talking about the Suns, but I just want to say I CJ McCollum is one of the most entertaining players to watch, like on, on the offensive end. Even if he has a bad game, check the box score. He probably has 20, and he makes it look like the smoothest 20 points you've ever seen. Um, I love the scoring punch that you get out of him Him and B.I., and B.I. has been playing amazing in, in this series. Uh, but to back to the Suns, I think getting Book back uh, is going to be crazy, um, not, not just for this the rest of the series, obviously, it looks like they're about to close it out right now. Um, yeah, Chris Paul just scored. Uh, Chris Paul just hit his 14th basket. He is 14 of 14. <laughs> and you're going to argue with someone saying he's not top five? No, okay. We're, we're not, <laughs> not going to get into that. <laughs> no need to argue that point. Like, it's ridiculous. I watched that segment. And literally, oh, I, and the same, the same guy that, and I, I, I used to like first take, but ever since Max has left, like it's been, there, there's some stuff I just can't watch anymore. The same guy literally said that Chris Paul was like not even top eight point guards of all time. Okay, that's he I'm had, sorry. he had. I'll, I'll give you the list. He had Magic number one, like the, the top, Fair. the first, the first three were like okay. He had Magic Fair. one. Uh, who was second? Was it he had magic one? Isaiah, I think Isaiah was two, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe he was three. I can't remember who was number two off the top of my head. He had Jason Kidd at four, he had Steph Curry at five, then he had he had Koozie at six, I think, or 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 Stockton at six, Koozie at seven, Nash at eight, and then Chris Paul. Man, I mean, if, if you're going to argue Magic Johnson's the greatest point guard ever, I'm not even going to argue with you. I think that's just like a tomato-tomato type thing. Um, but saying Chris Paul isn't a top five point guard ever is kind of crazy. I think when you look at numbers alone, maybe there's a case. But even then, Chris Paul's resume, literally the only thing missing is a championship. He's not at all. Like, I think oh, first off, okay, hold on. I think John Stockton has two, uh, maybe unbeatable records uh, in all-time assists and all-time steals. And I think the closest person we've ever seen come close to that is Chris Paul. Who knows if we're going to see any maybe assists? We might see someone like a Luca or a Trey Young come after him uh, in that stat. But steals, I think. I don't know. I think Chris Paul's. The most complete. I don't know. We're just going on a tangent, or I'm just going on a tangent. No, right you're you're good because just in terms of football, football is getting crazy. <laughs> hey, we might have to end this podcast right now. Forget the Mavericks and the Jazz. Let George watch the, <laughs> watch the NFL draft, bro, bro. The Brown, the not the Browns. The the Eagles just traded for AJ Brown. So now I'm getting worried that Devo might leave. <laughs> Might be traded. <laughs> I'm getting worried. <laughs> hey, we got to finish up quick then so George can handle that on, <laughs> on his own time right now. But hold on real quick, real quick, real quick. 
Do you have any words for this Mavericks Jazz series as we both watch the Suns try to close this game out right now? Uh, Mavericks Jazz, Mavs should close out tonight. I don't <laughs> care exactly what happens with the not. I don't. I shouldn't say I don't care what happens with the series, but the Mavs should close it out tonight. As I said, the Jazz have no perimeter defense. You can't have Rudy Gobert try to guard the paint and guard out the perimeter. Uh, Because it's obviously physically impossible. So the Mavs should just pick and roll and drive and kick the Jazz to death tonight. Just send them home at home. Uh, Send them to uh, Cancun because I know it's pretty cold in Utah. And uh, get my and I can actually start pushing my Donovan Mitchell to the New York Knicks agenda. Finally, because I'm sick and tired of him being in this situation. I hope he does play well tonight because, I mean, uh, game five, he put up a stinker. Uh, I mean, in terms of this series, the the Mavericks, the Luka, Luka should put at least a 30 ball, and uh, Jalen Brunson should add his 20. And literally it just comes down if the Mavericks shoot, what, 40% from three, uh, and they get – production from Maxi Cleaver, Davis Breton, Spencer Dinwiddie, so on and so forth. They should win this game in a dominant fashion. Yeah, I, I think um, the Mavericks, well, I just watched the Mavericks to just close this series so we could stop talking about the Jazz. I don't know if you could tell by the past couple of podcasts, I don't really like the Jazz. I don't really like talking about the Jazz right now. And for those listening, George has been pushing this Donovan Mitchell to the New York Knicks agenda for about a year now. And I've had to hear it from him on different scenarios on how he can get there, whether whether it's trades, whether it's free agency. Any chance he has to talk about Donovan Mitchell going to the New York Knicks, he'll do it. So, you know what, at this point, I'm rooting for George and I'm rooting for Donovan Mitchell to go to the Knicks. I'm telling you. The the most possible, the most possible, the it's going to have the highest probability after this game, after Luka drops 50 points in Utah and closes the series, the greatest villain the Western Conference has ever seen, Luka Doncic. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't if, – if the Jazz push this to seven and win the series, I'd be very much surprised, even though I had them – we both picked the Jazz uh, in the six, but we didn't know that Jalen Brunson was going to be the, the number two punch that Luca needed um, in this series. Uh, so, yeah, can, can we both – maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe I'll hold off on that specific statement. but um, Make a prediction for – Yeah, that's what I was going to say, but I didn't want to say, like – Oh, so Sun, Suns Mavericks, the next round, who you got? Just because technically the Suns game isn't over, even though it, it might be over. I mean, I'm watching it right now. We'll see what happens. B.I. takes the shot. It's off. Uh, looks, oh, it's still Pelican's ball with 5.6, but it's effectively over. George um, is testing out his play-by-play career right now. Hey, I practice that all the time. But... um. <laughs> But yeah, it looks like the Suns game is going to be over. They're going to wrap up this series. And I mean, if you want, we could do a Mavs Suns prediction. I mean, I think we both have the Mavs winning in like less than 10 minutes right now. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Regardless of who wins Mavericks Jazz, would the Suns win in the next series? 
Yeah, yeah, I think we can both agree that both of our picks are, regardless of who wins this, we're taking the Suns. And yes, final score, 115-109, Suns win. They close it, moving on to the next one. Yeah, playing book probably was worth it just to close the series out, have them rest until the next uh, the next round is played. So, um, yeah, went through every playoff series, uh, had live reactions uh we have you know play-by-play color commentators in this podcast too uh had a little bit of nfl draft we had uh george Schefter over here is that his name no we don't mess with adam Schefter after what oh. he did with Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> no offense Shefty. oh that was that was yeah. that was low blow yeah mm, not cool forgot about that completely i take that back i'm sorry <laughs> Call me, call me, that. call me George Rappaport. Ian Rappaport is my guy. <laughs> there it is. Heck, you can even say Sham since he uh, spoils the draft now. Oh god, he's <laughs> doing that in football too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, just know for everyone listening, by the time the NBA draft comes around, and it's if the NBA draft is in progress, do not text me. Because my phone will be off for the entirety of the draft because I do not want picks. I don't want to know the picks before they happen on my television screen. But that's besides the point right now. Uh, I think that wraps up the episode. Um, episode five, it feels cool doing this. Usually George closes out, but here I am doing it. Uh, so this was episode five of the Four Out One End podcast with your host, George Hamilton the third. <laughs> All right. Yep. George Hamilton, the third here. <laughs> Carlos Costas. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. Sign out.